This is Beat the Closing Line with Nicole, Mo, and Eli. Hey everyone, welcome to Beat the Closing Line. I am your host, Nicole Russo, alongside our resident NFL analyst, Mo Nawara and Eli Hershkovich. And before I get into what this show is and when we're going to be on air and what we're going to be discussing, let's get through some intros. Eli, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so spilled coffee on myself before the, right before the show started, so that's always fun. Uh, got my banner probably, you know, it took about 20 days to get that, another fun uh, thing that happened to get uh, prepare for the podcast. But I came over from a couple different sports betting companies, now working for the Lions at Katina Media, uh, focusing on college basketball and, of course, the NFL with you guys. So pumped to talk betting throughout the season. What about you, Mo? No spilled coffee today, just drinking coffee. Um, my background is in the poker industry, but I've been with the the lines in Katina for over a year now and mostly focusing on pro basketball, pro football, pro baseball. I would say mostly pro baseball lately, but getting back into NFL excited now. I, I would say last year's biggest hit was definitely the the survivor column. So look out for that. If you guys uh, play in survivor leagues, that'll be a weekly feature. It is my turn. I am Nicole and I also got my start in poker with the world series of poker and made my transition into sports betting about two and a half years ago. And I am thrilled to be on this show. Now, every Tuesday, we're going to be taking a look at opening NFL lines and discussing how we think those lines are going to move as we get closer and closer to game day. And then on Thursdays, you can catch Eli and I interviewing a special guest in the sports betting space when we do our interview series for Beat the Closing Lines. Now, if you want to bet any of the games that we discuss here, make sure you take a look at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen because that's going to be where we show all of the best sign-up offers for our sportsbook partners. And of course, before we get started, we have to make sure that you give us a thumbs up and subscribe to this channel and ring the bell so you know every time we post a new video. We have some special giveaways and announcements to commemorate NFL Week 1 and the start of this podcast. So to celebrate Beat the Closing Lines, we are giving away a few Amazon gift cards. So make sure that you subscribe to the lines on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review to be eligible for one of those $25 gift cards. And we're also running a free-to-play game over at thelines.com that is giving away $10,000 in prizes for this NFL season, and you can sign up for that using the link in the description below. All right, we are discussing quite a handful of bets today. We've got Eli and Moe's NFL futures and their week one plays, and we're going to get started with the Arizona Cardinals. Now, they're currently sitting at about eight and a half for their win total this season. They have added new players to their secondary, but Eli, you are not super convinced that that's going to get them to the over on this win total number this season. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it's actually interesting because this morning, uh, the Cardinals who opened as, I, I want to say, three-point underdogs when the lines opened up, Back in May, now this line is all the way up to six for their week one matchup against the Chiefs. So the market has, the betting market has already made a splash uh, on Kansas City and fading Arizona from a week one standpoint. But back to the futures and, and for this win total in particular, like Nicole said, I'm not super high on Arizona. I have a bet on the Cardinals under eight and a half wins. And for their defense in particular, I know we can focus on the offense in a second, but 
their secondary was brutal going back to last season. And you look at some of their key players in the secondary, one who I'm kind of surprised they haven't signed back yet just because he was their best performing second cornerback uh, from a coverage standpoint in Alford. But even with a, a key addition at cornerback, I'm still not uh, super high on Arizona secondary. And then you lose your pass rush, uh, Chandler Jones, and and Hicks and Jones was a huge member of Arizona's ability to get to the quarterback and and put heat on on the opposing uh, offensive line. Arizona was top ten in pressure rate going back to last season. So defense specifically, I think the Cardinals are going to take a step back because again, um, below average secondary, and if you can't get to the quarterback, it's going to put a lot of pressure on that back four or back five. If you're in. Um, if you have a nickel back on the field. And then for Arizona's offense, DeAndre Hopkins suspended for the first six games of the season. Uh, so you're putting more pressure on Marquise Hollywood Brown. And we saw how many drops he can rack up going back to last season. I want to say top five, top 10 in drops. AJ Green is getting older. Uh, so if you have faith in Kyler Murray and his ability to study film, good for you. But I'm, again, I'm not super bullish on this defense. And then offensively, um, even though Kyler can make spectacular plays, we've seen Arizona dwindle down the stretch going back to the last couple seasons and, and last year in particular getting blown out in the wild card game at the Rams, the defending Super Bowl champs. So even though this number has gotten bet down on the win total from nine and a half to eight and a half, I'm still taking the under eight and a half. And let's just touch on that contract a little bit with Kyler Murray really quickly. How do you feel that that impacts morale? And, and does that factor into your decision here? I mean, we've never seen an <laughs> NFL team put in a clause that a quarterback has to do homework in order to get essentially their guaranteed money. Like, what does that say about how the office feels about Kyler Murray? And do you think that's going to create some issues heading into the season? Well, I think it, I wouldn't say it has any sort of a major impact on my, um, on my, you know, my choice to bet the, the under eight and a half, but it, it was initially put in as a clause and then it got taken out. So clearly Kyler was pissed off about that, but it shows from a front office standpoint and maybe from a coaching standpoint, like they were putting him, I don't know if you guys watched the preseason, but he was the offensive coordinator in the second halves of a lot of those games, or maybe two of the three games, the Ravens. Uh, game in particular where Arizona lost, I think they were trying to not not gauge, but trying to improve his ability to read a defense um, while kind of from a coaching standpoint. I, I, I mean, it's a fun joke to, to mess around about. It doesn't really impact my um, my the way I'm going with the win total. But hey, if Kyler Murray wants to study less film and it helps the Arizona Cardinals go under eight and a half, that, that's great too. <laughs> You're good with that. Um, all right, Mo, it is time to Talk about the Saints and their NFC South future. So based on your notes here, I mean, it seems like a lot of the Bucks' weaknesses are factoring into this decision as much as the Saints' strengths when you like them to win the NFC South. Let's talk a little bit about your bet and your thought process here. Yeah, when I initially saw this, you could get as high as plus 340. Um, that was like a couple of weeks ago. And then I think it was down to mostly like plus 300 ish uh gone a little bit back up um seeing a plus 325 i hit that last night so i'm pretty happy with that number obviously the bucks have the stronger roster overall but i don't think it's as clear as people think or the market thinks um 
definitely like more downside I'm seeing with the Bucks than I think people want to believe. Uh, Tom Brady, as you may hear, a few times this season is 45. There'll be some drop off at some point for sure. Uh, I thought he was notably poor under pressure last year. Um, and I think he's going to be under more pressure this year. I don't think the Bucks' offensive line is quite as strong uh, this year. Some key losses, injuries. Um, you know, Ali Marpet retiring, he was a monster in the middle for them. And yeah, I just think if he's under some pressure, especially without Chris Godwin maybe being available, or at least maybe not 100% to start the season, I think that this offense could drop off some. I'm also wondering if they're going to lose some aggression in terms of the play calling. Bruce Arians, I didn't always think he made the best decisions, especially in-game, but, I mean, the team's approach was extremely uh, good from an offensive, like, philosophy standpoint. They threw the ball more than any other team last year, and and it's probably understating how much they wanted to throw it because they even had some a lot of leads, obviously, when you're one of the top playoff teams, and they still threw the ball more than anybody. So... I'm wondering if they're going to uh, run the ball a little more. I don't think that's good generally. Um, and I, I just like the Saints roster as well from top to bottom. Uh, it's a lot of variance um, with the the way between Jameis Winston coming back from a major injury and um, the receiving core as well, Michael Thomas and a rookie as well with Chris Olave. You could see uh, – a tremendous performance from top to bottom. This could be a great unit, like a top 10 unit, or it could be a bottom 10 unit. I mean, that's the type of error bars we're looking at uh, with this passing game. So I just think they have a really good defense as well. So a pretty high floor on that end. And uh, we know they've dominated the Bucks head to head the last couple of years. So that could come into play as well. And yeah, I just think plus 325 is is too long of a price for them. All right, we are going to go back to Eli, and we're going to take a look at the NFC North. Now, when it comes to these odds, they have been on the move. Vikings odds have gone from plus 300 to win the NFC North to two, plus 250. The team has a new head coach who is coming off of a Super Bowl winning season. Eli, how are you feeling about Minnesota's prospects this year? Yeah, and just looking at, if you go over to the lines.com, you could price shop not only on week one odds, but also on division odds for most Saints bet. I, I like that pick a lot too, even though from a variance standpoint, it'll be interesting to see how New Orleans adjusts from a play calling and from a prep standpoint, um, going from Sean Payton to Pete Carmichael, even though Carmichael has been there for almost two decades. Um, but going from, you know, uh, an assistant to Payton to an offensive coordinator, it's a, it's a bit of a difference. Uh, again, even though he's had a bit of a tenure there um, in Louisiana. But over to the Vikings, plus 250 at DraftKings, so still available at that price, plus 250 at BetMGM, plus 270 over at BetRivers, and then all the way down to plus 210 at PointsBet. I think you could find a, a bit of a better number there if you go over on PointsBet and you 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 try to uh, finagle, finagle it a little bit by clicking on Minnesota to finish first in the division rather than to win the NFC North. And you might find a plus 250 still up there. Just a heads up if, if anyone is not price shopping and is just on points bet, for instance. But so for me with the Vikings, it, it starts with coaching. You go from Mike Zimmer to Kevin O'Connell. Uh, Zimmer, just going back to uh, his, you know, his ability to um, create and generate a stout defense for the Vikings over, 
over in his uh, tenure in the NFC North, but still a bit of a stubborn and a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to um, trying to finagle offense down the stretch of a game and trying to make decisions and, and stuff like that. We saw the um, where Kevin O'Connell came from in the Rams, Sean McVay struggle a bit with that down the stretch too in the NFC Championship game, especially where the Rams had a fourth and two, I want to say, at midfield in the second half, and he decided to punt the ball. So coaches can kind of take a step back in terms of their aggressiveness, even though they might have a tendency to be hyper-aggressive in, in general. Uh, maybe the Chargers under Brandon Staley are a bit of an anomaly when it comes to that uh, because he will be a, an aggressive for aggressive head coach for a full four quarters. But still, you go from, a, again, a dinosaur from a coaching standpoint to Kevin O'Connell, who should breathe a lot of youthfulness into this coaching staff. And he also brings over Wes Phillips, who was the tight ends coach, uh, along with the uh, running backs coach, I want to say, or, or uh, an assistant to O'Connell um, with the Rams for the last few seasons. So uh, I, you compare the this situation with Minnesota to Green Bay going back to 2019. That's where I want to start off for the Packers because they went from Mike McCarthy um, going to Mike LaFleur, LaFleur, Matt LaFleur in 2019. And for Green Bay's offense, uh, again, we saw it with Dallas going back to last season under McCarthy, similar tendencies to Zimmer when it comes to play calling down the stretch and being a little more conservative. And LaFleur certainly opened that up for the Packers. So, you, you get a coaching upgrade. Packers win the division in 2019. I'm not saying bet the Vikings to win the division just because they got a coaching upgrade, but it can certainly make a difference. And we also saw that in the preseason too. Vikings ran 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers on the field and a tight end versus your standard two tight end, two wide receiver, one, one running back set. Uh, they ran the, the former, the 11 personnel, 73.8% of the time. Uh, which means Minnesota is going to spread the field a ton, which not only benefits Kirk Cousins and, and his ability to um, have KJ Osborne more on the field, assuming he's healthy. So you have a dynamic three wide receiver combination in Jefferson, Osborne, and Thielen, and Irv Smith, who is supposed to play now in week one. He was dinged up um, going back to early August. But you also get Dalvin Cook running out of the 11 personnel a hell of a lot more. And Cook... Uh, looking at the percentages, I dove into this in my write-up for the Vikings to win the NFC North. His ability to uh, have a high efficiency uh, from a rushing standpoint is much greater out of 11 personnel versus your standard, uh, again, two tight end, two wide receiver, one running back set. Looking at the Vikings defense now, they missed the six most games defensively going back to last season. That includes uh, uh, Daniil Hunter and Barr um, from that front seven. And Daniil Hunter is obviously one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And now you add a guy like Zadarius Smith there to pair up with the Vikings uh, up front in their front seven. And back seven is probably, or, or back four, I should say, is probably the biggest question mark, even though you have a stable guy in Harrison Smith who only missed one game last season. But again, if Minnesota could stay healthy on defense and their offense takes a tick up because of O'Connell and their ability to space things out, I think Kirk Cousins has a monster year. I know Matt Brown, who's a part of the Lions, likes Kirk Cousins to go over in passing yards. You think about with the Packers lost, a couple of interchangeable parts on the offensive line, sure, but guys that could still move around from a positional standpoint. And then you, of course, lose Devontae Adams and Martez Valdez-Scantling. The Lions price has gotten slashed a decent amount to win the NFC North, so I don't see a ton of value there. And then the Bears, from a personnel standpoint, are the Bears. So I like the Vikings 
at plus 250 to win the NFC North. I just want to let the audience know that in Eli's show notes, for me, it's just bears, colon, bears. So that pretty much tells you (laughs) all the faith that uh, Eli has in the bears. Before we finish up this first half of the segment, Eli, do you want to touch, or I mean, Mo, do you want to touch on anything that Eli just talked about with the Vikings? I think he's pretty spot on about what he's saying. Um, I'm also a little skeptical of the Packers this year. I just, I, I think their defense should be really strong, but I have major questions about their offense. I know Aaron Rodgers is the best. You won't find a bigger Aaron Rodgers guy than me, but that's an extremely concerning receiving core. Um, at the same time, when I, I don't really believe in the Vikings that much either. Um, I kind of wanted to like the Vikings, but... I have serious questions about this defense. I definitely agree with uh, Matt Brown and what you were saying about this Vikings offense. They could have a very high volume season, but I think some of that volume might come because they're in a lot of shootouts. Uh, Big fan of all the Vikings players in fantasy this year, basically, because I don't trust this secondary whatsoever. I think Mike Zimmer, although, you know, you're dumping on him for his offense and and thought process, which is fair. uh, I, I think he did good work getting, Better production than the talent uh, warranted warranted out of this defense. I'm really worried about the pass rush as well. I mean, on paper, it could be excellent with Hunter and Zadarius Smith, but I don't know what Zadarius Smith has left after a lost season and just, you know, it's been That's fair. two years since he was like, and he was producing at an elite level, but that was two years ago now. He's older and coming off multiple injuries and, and Hunter coming off injuries too. And yeah, I don't like the secondary at all. I think Harrison Smith might be cooked. And then, uh, yeah, Patrick Peterson can't move anymore. I, I do like Cameron Dantzler, actually, but I don't know. The coaching staff didn't seem to like him, so we'll see if he meshes with the new staff. And then uh, a bunch of rookies with talent behind them. But, you know, rookies in the secondary is usually very, very bad news for your uh, scoring prevention. Everything you said is is fair from a defensive standpoint. Again, the secondary is the biggest concern. I will say at Nickelback, they did upgrade with Shannon Sullivan from the Packers. Um, but it, it's a fair point, too, about Zedaria Smith. A lost season going back to going back to 2021. I, I just think if you get that offensive upgrade, uh, it, it does kind of mitigate their secondary issues. If Kevin O'Connell and this offense does gel, he does have a little bit of a history with with Cousins going back to Washington. So fair points on the Vikings. Maybe the Packers offense doesn't take a major step back, but I still think plus 250 is a a nice buy price on Minnesota to win the division. All right, we are going to break up some of this sports betting talk to enter into our WTF segment of the day. What the Every week in the middle of all this sports betting talk, we are going to pick a video that we think is funny, either a press conference reaction or something that happened on the field or something that might be a little controversial, and we are going to discuss it right here and get everyone's takes on it. Now, what we have for this week's video is a little bit older in the news cycle. It happened uh, during one of the preseason games, and it might be a first in NFL history when the Ravens mascot had to get carted off of the field during a Pop Warner play. I believe this was during halftime, during a preseason game. Go ahead and take a look. Oh, yeah, we're playing the game. I mean, we're playing football. It's a tough sport. Wow. It's not for everybody. Clearly, the mascot ought to stick to being a mascot. So, Paul helped yeah. off the field. 
I hope he's really not hurt. I hope that was all for theatrics. Good halftime concept, though. I like it. Now, all I'm going to say is they need to pay this man or woman in this Ravens costume more money because I do believe that this is the first ever known injury of a mascot during the game. And the Ravens have been pretty good about keeping us updated with um, how his recovery or her recovery is going. And unfortunately, Coach Harbaugh did announce that um, the Raven is out for the season. This mascot is out for the season and they will be recruiting a new one. Is this a, a bad omen for what is to come when it when it, we're talking about Ravens injuries this season? Eli, what do you think? Well, I'm hoping it's more of a little bit of a, uh, just going back to last season, maybe a carryover from last season, and then it just stops. Because it is September, and I think this injury did happen in late August. So I really, I'm, I'm going to tease a little bit. We're going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens from a future standpoint in a second, but hopefully August is kind of the end point on these injuries. And, you know, if we had to kind of gift this mascot to be the last, uh, to be the last guy to get hurt from a roster standpoint, if you want to include him on the Ravens roster, then <laughs> I'll take it because I need Baltimore to stay healthy this year. So just let the, let the mascot take one for the team. Mo, do you pretty, have, much. pretty much. Pretty much. You got to do what you got to do. Mo, any reactions <laughs> to this video? What do you, what do you think about it? My reaction was the same as Eli's. I'm hoping for his sake that, because uh, I know he's invested in the Ravens this year. Uh, but yes, I, I'm I'm interested in the Ravens too, theoretically. But then I just didn't find the prices I wanted. I like them a little more than the Bengals, but the, so does the market. So it's just like whatever to me. But uh, I don't know. I guess in the sense of maybe it helps the Chiefs if everything goes disastrous for the Ravens. I'll be okay with it. <laughs> so thank you mascot <laughs> for injuring yourself during that pop warner game all right we'll go we'll take it right back into sports betting and we have uh like eli said some some ravens bets that we have to get down uh we're talking about the ravens and their super bowl futures they're currently sitting at plus two thousand to win it all and um it looks like the team might be dealing with some minor injuries outside of the mascot position. Eli, how, what stands out to you? How do you think it's going to affect their chances this season? Okay, so well, again, hopefully August <laughs> is included in, in last season's injury report, and now we have moved on to 2022 officially. But you mentioned injuries for Baltimore, especially last season, a ton of them on the defensive side of the ball. And we'll go from one side to the other. We'll start with the offense in a minute here. But just kind of naming the guys that were hurt and the amount of time, the amount of games that they missed. Marcus Peters, who you can make the case that he is a bit older, uh, just comparing just comparing what uh, Mo had to say about the Vikings defense and maybe some other guys kind of being past being um, at least not, dis I guess, disposable, maybe disposable at this point. I, I don't think you would throw uh, Zadarius Smith into that conversation, but uh, maybe a little bit above disposable, even though I have him rated a little higher than that. Uh, either way, Marcus Peters torn ACL going back to last season. J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards at the running back position, 17 games missed an entire regular season for all three of those players. Derek Wolf, who's no longer on the team, edge rusher, defensive end, Hip injury out for the entire season. Ronnie Stanley had an ankle injury, missed most of last season, 16 games. Um, he is expected to be able to suit up in week one. I believe he practiced on uh, Tuesday, um, or Monday that is, and we're recording this on Tuesday. Deshaun Elliott, another safety, missed 11 games. Jimmy Smith, cornerback, nine games. Uh, 
And then you, the list goes on and on. Rashawn Bateman missed five games. Marlon Humphrey, a really good nickelback, now probably playing more on the outside. Nickelback going to maybe three years ago. Uh, he missed five games. And then, of course, Lamar Jackson, the main piece, when the Ravens were, I want to say, eight and three, um, he went down and he missed five games overall. So similar to Minnesota, except on both sides of the ball, if the Ravens get a little bit more injury luck in a positive sense, uh, it, should, it should certainly help. And I think the betting market has already taken that into the, into consideration because Baltimore was around plus uh, 3,000, so uh, 30 to 1 to win the Super Bowl at some offshores and uh, some other books, some legal books going back to when this market initially opened. Now they're priced at 20 to 1 and even lower at some other shops. I, I would try to get it 20 to 1 first and foremost if you're betting on Baltimore. But with Lamar Jackson, uh, if the ankle injury isn't an issue, you go back to last year, expected points added per play at the quarterback position. Third down was one of the arguably, and if from a metric standpoint, one of Lamar Jackson's worst seasons in his, in his short career, I want to say under five years, um, with his ability to generate uh, efficient plays on third down. Now, injuries aside, you can make the case that Lamar has had issues on third down in the playoffs, which I'm sure Mo is going, going to get to in a second. But if this Baltimore offensive line, uh, Stanley especially, and Rashad Bateman, uh, because the Ravens, I would say that's their biggest uh, depth issue, is at wide receiver. If they're able to stay healthy, I, I think that number from a regression standpoint, goes back up considering what Lamar Jackson has been able to do, I, I want to say, in his MVP season and the year after that when the Ravens lost in the divisional round to the Bills um, on third down. He's a very efficient quarterback on third down, so I think that uh, comes back into play. At the running back position, J.K. Dobbins might miss week one. He might not. Either way, I think they'll be healthier at that spot. Gus Edwards um, is on the PUP list, but he should be back after week four. And then you bring in Mike Davis, a nice depth piece at the least when J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, assuming those two guys are healthy, are at the one and two in the pecking order at running back. Defensively, I love going from uh, Don Wink Martindale, who's now the Giants defensive coordinator, which we'll get to later on in the show, to Mike McDonald, who was on the Ravens staff, was the Michigan defensive coordinator, uh, the co coordinator under John... Uh, Harbaugh at Michigan. Now he goes back to, or Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Now he goes back to John Harbaugh in Baltimore as the DC. I think he was the linebackers coach before that with the Ravens. So you go from primarily man-to-man -man coverage uh, under Wink to uh, zone coverage under, or I, a mix of man-to-man -man and zone, but not stubbornly, stubbornly playing man-to-man, -man, which is important if Baltimore does suffer injuries. Um, but he'll still play an aggressive style, uh, at DC, they'll still bring a ton of pressure, and I love their front seven. Uh, didn't make a ton of changes there, and again, the back seven, if it's healthier um, from a from a personnel standpoint, and then from a schematic standpoint, I think Baltimore will be a lot better on defense, considering they were bottom three in turnover differential going back to last season, or turnovers forced, and then you look at uh, expected points added per play allowed. Uh, and I have a breakdown of, of uh, that metric on thelines.com if you want to check that out. Um, they were bottom 10 in the league. So injuries definitely play a monster role in, in those two uh, stats and uh, metric, if you want to call EPA that. So again, uh, Baltimore has a ton of positive signs trending upward if Lamar Jackson is able to improve uh, and get back to the way he was uh, over the last you know three years, with the exception of last year 
on third downs. I'm very high on the Ravens, uh, and I have a Super Bowl bet on them at 20 to 1. What do you think, Mo? Uh, a lot of uh, pending healthy players in what Eli just said, and I know you have some feelings about Lamar, so do you want to interject and uh, say anything before we move on to the next topic? I mean, he knows how I feel about uh, <laughs> Lamar in the playoffs for sure. I I think the Ravens are a regular season monster, and, and I actually, a bet I found a couple of weeks ago um, that I thought was decent was Ravens to be the top seed in the AFC was plus 900. I'm not sure if that line is still available out there. I haven't looked for that one in a bit, but if you can find well, that, if you can find something like that, I think it's fine. Uh, just how strong they've been in the regular season with Lamar Jackson, and we know how good of a coach John Harbaugh is. He's done a great job uh, just putting. They, they do such a good job putting their players in position to succeed. But I just don't think Lamar is going to play well once you face good teams in the playoffs. We've seen it multiple years in a row. I don't expect good things from them. Uh, at that point. So I'm leery of a Super Bowl play. I think it'll have value in the sense that it'll be a much shorter number by the time the playoffs roll around, but I don't expect it to ultimately cash. Taking shots right. left and right. No, I, yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> this is what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are going to go to one of Mo's picks next, and that is a team that made a lot of waves this offseason with signing star quarterback Russell Wilson. And Mo, you aren't necessarily in agreement with the market on the Broncos' win total this season based on their receiving core and Wilson potentially being past his prime. So give us your insights on that. Yeah, just the team that I think a lot of people, the market, got too excited about. Um, especially when I look at the offensive side of the ball. Really, I have questions on both sides, though. Um, looking at the the passing offense in particular, though, it's just an okay offensive line, I think. And then the receiving core is pretty thin. It's actually really thin. Especially, so Noah Fant shipped out of town. He was a solid performer for them. And then Cortland Sutton came back from ACL tear. I thought he was noticeably worse last year than he had been before that. Jerry Judy might just be bad. We don't know. Um, struggling with drops, just hasn't produced to the level that was expected of him as a first-round pick. I'm not convinced this is a, a great receiving core. I think they're going to miss Tim Patrick as well towards ACL, I think, in the um, preseason or in practice. And... I think that's honestly a, a decent sized loss when combined with just how uncertain the rest of this receiving core is. Uh, I don't think it's a great group, noticeably worse than what Russell Wilson was working with in Seattle. And then Russ himself, I'm just like not sure he's all that great anymore. I know a lot of people have big expectations here, getting him away from Seattle, getting him from, away from one of the more conservative coaching staffs out there, but... We just haven't seen elite play from him for – it was basically like a season and a half that we saw. I mean, I, I was never a big Russ guy, but even after after that tremendous season he had, I can't remember, I think it was 2019, I, I thought, okay, he's like clear number two in the world behind Patrick Mahomes. And then, yeah, he just fell off after that, and, and he hasn't recaptured that form. So I'm not positive this is going to be an elite offense. And while the defense has – a ton of talent, especially in the secondary. I think people aren't really giving credit to Vic Fangio 
that he probably deserves. He's for sure struggling in the sense of, you know, his decision-making, his conservative nature, you know, defensive coaches, like with their offense, but he's done amazing work over the years on on coaching up defenses. I I mean, I think there's going to be some regression there just from losing him and obviously playing in just a ridiculously tough division. I, I think the Broncos are a good team. I mean, for sure, top half of the league, borderline top 10 for me, but just the questions I have combined with their really tough division they play in, I like alt-unders on the Broncos quite a bit. I think miss the playoffs is probably okay to bet as well. Um, I think I got under eight and a half. I can't remember the price. I fired this last night. Plus 180, I want to say. Yeah, something like that. Around plus 180, plus 200 range. I think it's pretty good. Just I see more downside than I think people want to believe with this team. Eli, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, it's it's similar-ish to the Vikings in terms of maybe not personnel and, and coaching entirely because the Broncos have an entire new coaching staff and O'Connell and Cousins did work together going back to one season, I want to say 2017, with, with Washington. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't know if it's going to gel necessarily and you lose not only Vic Fangio, but Ed Donatel. And they were paired up together for a while and now Donatel is the new Vikings Defensive coordinator, another reason why I'm high on that defense. So Mo Mo is just going to completely annihilate my futures picks, and I'm going to back him up. And we'll see how this goes the rest of the season if I decide to stay on that track. Being so supportive. Wow. I just <laughs> I just can't believe it. But I'm very proud of you for, <laughs> taking, for taking this route. All right, Mo, we are going to finish it off with one of your Super Bowl futures, and I'm sure you're very excited because you get to talk about your Chiefs. So right now, the Bills are the favorite to win it all this season, but you're not so sure that will be the case. Uh, Why do you like the Chiefs here at plus 1,100? Really tremendous, best quarterback coaching combo in the league, I think, with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. It's really crazy to me that that combination in 2022, which is basically pretty much what football is, your head coach, uh, offensive scheme, and your quarterback, it can be a plus 1,100. I'm not convinced the Bills are miles ahead of everyone else, like the market seems to think, plus 550, plus 600. I know that like there's a lot of juice baked into these futures markets, but to me, when you see a team like the Bills that I think is a little overrated, it's going to create value elsewhere. I'm not like super excited to bet any of these teams, to be honest, like Super Bowl futures are pretty tight this year. I think they've been pretty tight the last couple of years. I haven't really seen any futures I've been super excited about lately, but yeah, I just think to me every year that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are back with a solid roster. The chiefs should be, if not the favorites right up there with anybody else. But also when I when I look at this Chiefs roster, I'm seeing a pretty solid roster from top to bottom. I like what they did with the replacement of Tyree Kill. I know that he did some amazing work for them, but a lot of costly drops in high leverage as well. Um, potentially could have sewed up the game against the Bengals last year. And then, I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, these are solid receivers. I mean, they're not going to light your world on fire, but I think when you have Mahomes, you just need solid, especially Mahomes behind a very strong offensive line that I see as a a clear top 10 unit. And the defense has more talent than it has had the last couple of years, I think. Uh, 
I could I, I could see some struggles early breaking in multiple rookies and young players, but uh, I think the Chiefs are going to round into some pretty strong form by the middle of the season. And it's tough because their schedule is so, so ridiculously tough and, and very tough division. So they might have to play on the road in the playoffs, but I'm not that concerned about it when you have Andy Reid and Mahomes. Eli, do you want to offer one last word of support before we move on to our next segment? No, I'm never supporting Mo on a futures bet again. No, I'm just kidding. I, From an offensive standpoint, I think Kansas City did a really nice job replacing um, Tyree Kill. I, I think Juju Smith-Schuster, not only from a prop standpoint to look at from a buy-low situation, but just fantasy, uh, I think he's a, a perfect replacement. I think he has a big year if he's able to stay healthy. That's kind of the theme of the podcast is Mo crapping on all of my bets and if <laughs> X player could stay healthy. You're listening to the Lines.com Podcast Network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sportsbooks all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. All right, we are going to take it into some NFL Week 1 bets. Both Mo and Eli have three bets to cover, so we're just going to go one bet at a time back and forth. And remember, when it comes to these odds and the games that we are talking about in today's show, you can always shop for the best prices, shop for the best lines over at thelines.com. We have the tools to help you do that. All right, we're going to kick it off with Eli, and he is taking a look at the Texans this week. And this number has been on the move. It opened at plus 7.5 going up to eight and a half, and now it's seemingly being bet back down. What number are you betting the Texans at here? Yeah, I already know that Mo is either going to be on the other side of this of this play, or he's going to, um, or he's just going to crap on this bet once again. <laughs> Another one of my bets that Mo does not like. But I, I like Houston at plus, I got him plus eight yesterday, and you can, again, complain about me giving out a, a number that's not available Plus seven and a half is still available over at FanDuel, or you can wait because I don't think this is staying at seven. Uh, I think it gets back, back up to seven and a half, eight, eight and a half even on game day. I think Colts public money is going to come back in um, on Sunday at the latest. So if you don't see a seven and a half today, tomorrow, uh, even Friday, um, I would expect to try. I would expect to be able to get that number over the weekend, at, at least above the hook over a key number at seven and a half. If you can get that again over a key number of seven, uh, that's the way to go. So looking at Indianapolis, this is more of a, a market rating thing for me that, that the market, the betting market is a little too high on the Colts. I, Houston's a bottom four team in my power rating. So I, it's not like I'm high on the Texans. They're healthy in comparison to last year. They've made some upgrades on the offensive line and in the secondary uh, with their first round draft picks, number three overall, Derek Stingley at safety, I think is a really good uh, fit for Lovey Smith's Tampa 2 defense. But looking into Indianapolis, uh, they were bottom 10 last year in yards per play allowed and bottom below average. So bottom 15 
uh, bottom, bottom 17, whatever you want to say. In EPA, expected points added. I'm bringing up that metric a lot uh, per dropback. So essentially uh, efficient, effective plays that they allow to the quarterback. They allow chunk plays to opposing passing games. And they allow chunk plays overall in terms of yards per play. Uh, yet what really held their defense up was that they had the second most turnovers forced um, with 33. So the question is, is can turnovers carry over from one year to another? That's another variable that you would expect a dip on top of the fact that they lost their defensive coordinator in, in Matt Eberflus. Now the Bears head coach, they did bring in the former Legion of Boom defensive coordinator in Gus Bradley, but you couple the two factors of losing your defensive play caller in Eberflus that I mean, he wasn't the reason why Indianapolis created a ton of turnovers, but still your defensive headmaster on top of the fact that that number is going to dip. The, the one number we've seen not dip in, in probably over the last two, three seasons is Nicole Steelers. They've been consistently top five in the league in turnovers forced, but they're also not giving up, you know, the 10th most or, or top 10 um, yards per play allowed. And the same thing for expected points added for opposing passing games. So I think Indianapolis defensively is going to take a step back. And from a continuity standpoint, the Texans have that with their offensive coordinator, Pep Hamilton back. You have Davis Mills, not again, not super high in Houston's offense, but continuity is there. Brandon cooks um, Collins as well. And then they add Damian Pierce in the backfield. I think Houston's going to be able to hang within a possession in this game. Defensively, not a lot to, to, uh, to love for the Texans, but uh, from an offensive standpoint, I think Houston can hang with Indianapolis on the scoreboard and keep this within seven points. Mo, anything you want to add? I know my dog Joplin uh, jumped in for a little bit. She had some commentary, <laughs> but we'll leave her. We'll leave her out of this. Mo, do you uh, have any anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I would. I'm interested in the other side. I guess not saying I'm definitely going to be on Indy, but my first instinct when when I see a seven is is to think about betting the Colts. Um, I, I did think fair was like eight, eight and a half here. So, I mean, this secondary, man, two rookies I'm seeing <laughs> potentially slated to be starting. I, I loved Derek. Stingley. It depends how high you are on Stingley. I love Stingley. I thought he was, yeah. When I saw him as a freshman, I thought he was one of the most impressive freshmen I've ever seen in my life. Uh, very, very big Stingley fan, but I mean, even talented rookies usually get their asses kicked, uh, especially in the secondary. So I don't expect good things from them in the immediate future. I think the Colts have a pretty solid veteran-laden team. I definitely share your concern about the defensive coaching. I thought the last few years, Eberflus and the staff as a whole, I, I think has done a very good job getting better production than the talent warranted. Um, I, I don't love this roster on defense, although I just I I think this pass rush looks pretty solid with DeForest Buckner and Yannick Ngakwe. Um, the secondary could be very strong. We'll see what Stephon Gilmore has left. Um, it also, if he's lost multiple steps at this point, it could be pretty bad. But I think they have like a pretty conservative scheme in the past that's kind of protected their secondary. So we'll see if that continues here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think Houston is so awful, but we'll see what happens, I guess. I like the Ngakwe pickup. They did lose Rakisin, and then they replaced him with um, Gilmore. So again, it, it comes down to, for me, is is Indianapolis 
um, from a market rating standpoint, a, a little bit too high up. And I, I do think so. So Texans still bottom four for me in power ratings, but I'm willing to uh, take this over a key number of seven. All right, we are now taking it into our Thursday night football matchup. Mo, you have Rams plus two and a half here. They are about two to two and a half point dogs at most legal online sports books. Why do you uh, like this number here for our first matchup of the season? Multiple position groups slash matchups that I think look pretty strong in favor of the Rams here. Uh, I'm pretty surprised to see the Bills road favorites. But once again, I'm a little lower on the Bills than the market. I don't even think I'm that high on the Rams, really. Uh, but I think even Bills optimists agree. This is a the potential weak point is is on the O line. Um, it, it's not a strong offensive line on paper, and this is not the matchup you want to be working to gel your new O line with uh, with Aaron Donald uh, across the <laughs> across the line. So I think Josh Allen could be under quite a bit of pressure here. Um, he worked some amazing magic against the Chiefs the last time we saw him, who also did a very good job attacking this O-line and put him under a ton of pressure, but he just kept escaping. Uh, I don't see that as a s- sustainable strategy. And I also think the edge on the other side um, is going to be pretty strong in favor of the Rams. I don't trust this secondary at all right now. I know they have a tremendous pair of safeties in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, but the cornerback pairing I'm seeing projected to start is Kyir Elam, who is a rookie, and then something called Dane Jackson. I've never seen that (laughs) name, I don't think. Uh, I love Teron Johnson, their nickelback, but yeah, I don't know what these corners are going to do against Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson. I think that could be a brutal matchup for them. So I, I think... It's wrong team favorite. I like the Rams quite a bit here. And Eli, you are in agreement on this one, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm in agreement, and I was thinking about taking the Rams at two and a half. It's down to two at some shops now, but you could still find uh, just below the key number at at some sports books. I'm just going to have to wait to play this one live because we saw the market open at Rams minus one. So to Mo's point, maybe the Rams, if Stafford is healthy, should be favored. But then the market went to Bills minus two and a half because in early August, the elbow tendonitis got brought up for Stafford. So it's, it's, I know he's talking up a big game about that the elbow isn't an issue. And we've seen the, the Nerf football being tossed 100 yards of uh, that video surfacing on Twitter over uh, the last few days. Maybe the elbow is fine. And maybe I don't get a good live number on the Rams. But if the Bills jump out, and maybe get a field goal touchdown on their first possession, and you can get the uh, the Rams above a key number, and Stafford's elbow looks okay. That's the way I'm going to approach the Rams. Now, I'm not probably not going to take this pregame. Sounds good. All right, back to Eli. We are going to take a look at the Giants here in their Week 1 matchup against the Titans. They're currently at plus 6. Can you break this one down for us? Yeah, so sticking with the theme of taking gross teams, I don't think Mo is going to be able to bear to take the Titans. So luckily, he's either going to be on my side or not take the other side. Uh, he's definitely not taking Tennessee, at least I think slash hope. But uh, looking at the opener for this back in May, the Giants opened up at uh, plus six and a half. So Titans favored by just under the key number of seven. It's moved to plus five and a half at most sports books. The Lone sports book that has a stray six plus six Giants 
So Titans minus six is bet MGM, which I grabbed a couple of weeks ago. This write-up is up on the lines.com. But just to reiterate, um, we talked about secondaries a lot on this podcast and the Giants secondary, similar to Minnesota, that's their biggest defensive liability. You don't have Bradbury anymore. He's in Philly. So your notable slash your pro- only prominent name, if you really want to call a Dory Jackson that at this point of his uh, his career, uh, he's the lone guy that you can kind of respect in that secondary. Otherwise, there are prevalent issues that will pop up throughout the season, especially because Don Wink Martindale, former Ravens DC, who I mentioned earlier in the show, he's uh, now the Giants defensive coordinator and he runs a lot of man-to-man coverage. But the Titans don't have A.J. Brown anymore. He was dealt to the Eagles uh, on draft night and Julio Jones whatever you want to call him last year. When he was healthy, he did produce from time to time. Maybe that's the point we'll take away from this conversation is Julio Jones did nothing for the Titans when he was healthy, which if you look at the box score, Mo, uh, maybe we can disagree to disagree on that. But you look at the Rams wide receiving core right now and Robert Woods coming off the torn ACL on a snap count. You don't know where you're going to get from him necessarily from, uh, from that standpoint in week one. Uh, Burks as well, Traylon Burks, their first-round pick. I, I mean, what can you expect from him? Uh, even though the upside is extremely high, what can you expect from him in week one? So I don't think the Giants' scheme slash personnel is is necessarily a, a monster issue in this sort of a matchup. I think the Giants have a bit of an advantage in the front seven if their guys are healthy. Now, that's why this line could go back to six, six and a half, because one of the Giants' first-round picks, Thibodeau, he might not play. The Giants might be a little cautious with him. And then one of their other defensive uh, ends, who was their sack leader last year, uh, Ojalary, is questionable. He's probably more likely to play of the two guys. If Ojalary and, and Thibodeau can play, Giants have the edge in the front seven, considering the Titans lost their two best run blockers going back to, or two of their better run blockers uh, going back to last season. And then again, going back to the theme of injuries, the Giants had the third worst injury luck, and especially on the offensive side of the ball. Now, you can make the case that Saquon Barkley, Kadarius Toney, uh, their other receivers are very injury prone, and that's, that's totally warranted. But the Giants do bring in Brian Dable, the former Bills offensive coordinator. He's now the Giants head coach. They're going to run a lot of 11 personnel. If in at least week one, the Giants skill position players can stay healthy, I think uh, even as good as Tennessee secondary can be with Farley now healthy, assuming he is, uh, one of the better cornerbacks in the league, even though he's a second-year guy. I, I think the Giants can space them out, similar to what Minnesota can do on the offensive side of the ball under O'Connell. If you can trust Daniel Jones and you could stomach a bet on Daniel Jones, I think the Giants can hang within uh, six points and, and potentially win this one outright. There are a lot of win total over bets on New York. I'm not taking any futures with the Giants in terms of winning the division, but I do think this number is a little bit inflated in a, in a uh, season where the Titans are going to take a step back on both sides of the ball. And, and not to mention uh, the Titans are uh, lost three of their starting linebackers going back to last season, including their sack leader, Her- Harold Landry, who tours ACL last week. So give me the Giants a plus six over a bad MGM. All right, it's time to take it into your guys' final three picks for NFL Week 1. And, Mo, you are going to kick us off. The Bears are sitting up plus seven in their Week 1 matchup. And you have said before that you feel like this line is stunning. So tell us why (laughs) you use such a 
superlative there. <laughs> I'm not that excited about the Bears at all. I think this roster is atrocious. Um, <laughs> but man, I just cannot believe a quarterback who has basically never thrown a meaningful NFL pass is laying seven points on the road. This is bananas to me. I mean, the range of outcomes for Trey Lance definitely includes a pretty high chance, in my opinion, that he falls on his face. Uh, I, I think the team knows that too. Otherwise, why are they so intent on not only keeping Garoppolo around, but like restructuring his contract to make sure he's around this year and, and not like so that they can deal him or anything like that? I just, yeah, I don't like the Bears team. But I, I just don't trust that it's very simple. I just don't trust Trey Lance to come out and just kick another NFL team's ass on the road. I mean, that's what you're saying when the line is seven, basically, that you're just going to come out and dominate. Um, I think it's definitely big that Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn are sticking around for the time being. So they at least have some, the Bears at least have some weapons up front. Um and, and yeah, I, the, the weakness I see in the Bears is definitely in the secondary. Multiple rookies, once again, and, and young players. But I just don't know if Trey Lance can take advantage of that. I know that Kyle Shanahan is one of the best offensive game planners, but I don't see the 49ers uh, attacking them very effectively in the secondary the way, say, a team like the Vikings maybe could with their you know strong receivers and, and, and having a, a decent quarterback. Eli, do you have any thoughts on this one? All I'm going to say is going back to my point about the NFC North with the Vikings is the Bears of the Bears. I would, I'm not going to hit on the pick because it is at the key number seven. Maybe this gets to seven and a half or eight on game day. I don't know about your take there, Mo, if you'd rather wait uh, till later in the week or possibly on Sunday when a, a line like the Colts-Texans with two of the worst teams in the NFL with Houston and Chicago uh, could get steamed up with their opponent. But I... I can't stomach a bet on the Bears. Yeah, even though I could stomach a bet on the Texans and the Giants, I can't stomach a bet on the Bears. Wow, the Bears are too low for you. Not the Texans, but the Bears. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right, we're moving on to Eli's pick, and it's uh, the Vikings once again, but not a future here. This is an NFL Week 1 bet, and they've opened up at plus 2.5, and, and you've seen them move all the way down to plus 1 at some sports books, and now they seem to be settling around plus 1.5. So, Tell us a little bit about this number and why you like it. Yeah, so I got close to a flat plus one and a half. I got minus 105, a little less. You're paying a little bit less juice there. Uh, but this also this line could go a little bit lower even. Uh, we're seeing minus 110s pretty much. You might be able to find that minus 105 too if you go shop around at the lines.com for the, for the Vikings at plus one and a half. The injury concerns for Green Bay. I've already made my points about why I'm high on Minnesota, but... You look at the injury report for the Packers, who practiced starting on Monday. Bakhtiari says he's going to play. Uh, he has a knee injury going back to August. Same thing with their other uh, their other offensive line, uh, Elton Jenkins, other offensive lineman. Uh, they both have knee injuries. Bakhtiari probably more likely to play of the two. But I think there's still a chance he doesn't play, and I think that's why 
the market is coming in on Green Bay just a little bit more than they would have already, or coming back on Minnesota, I should say, just a little bit more than they would have already because sharp betters are on the Vikings from a future standpoint. So therefore, if they're, if they're playing a team in the division, then they're probably going to be on them in that case too. If you're high in Minnesota from a win total standpoint, from a division standpoint, uh, maybe even further down the road if you look ahead a little bit in the futures market. So injury concerns all over the field for Green Bay. Even Alan Lazard and Christian uh, Watson have the, the Packers wide receivers who are replacing Devontae Adams and Martez Valdez-Scantlin that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Uh, they're banged up as well. So we'll see how the Packers uh, are and fare on the injury report as the week moves along. I, I think if, if the offensive line is an issue, that pass rush, assuming they are healthy for this game, which they are and, and should be, uh, that Hunter and Zadarius Smith, should be able to take advantage and get a ton of pressure on Aaron Rodgers. We've seen the Packers struggle and Rodgers struggle in week ones in the past, going back to last season in particular on the road in New Orleans. I, I want to see that game was played in Jacksonville against the Saints, actually. But uh, that's not to say that I'm taking the Vikings because the, the Packers have struggled again in week one. It's more so that the, the Packers are in a transition uh, at a key position at wide receiver. And even though you have guys like uh, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon that can wind, uh, line up in the slot and, and produce, it's still going to take, I think, a little bit of time for this Packers offense to gel, uh, even though they've had an offseason and uh, training camp so on to do so. The, the other key point I want to make, and this applies to the Texans line as well, that home dog since 2009, and uh, you're probably already stopping me there and thinking to yourself listening to this podcast, I don't want to hear a trend. But it's not really from a trend standpoint. It's, it's more so thinking about this logistically and why this number came to be, why home dogs since 2009 have performed so well, uh, divisional dogs, I, I should say. So looking back to the Texans and the Vikings in particular, uh, since 2009, Home dogs, divisional dogs in week one are 19 and five against the spread. So you think about home field advantage playing a little bit of a uh, little bit of a role into that uh, with home uh, the home field advantage maybe being worth three points going back to I want to say maybe two seasons ago uh, back up until 2009. Now it's worth about uh, one and a half to two points. Bookmakers want to say so factor that in along with the standpoint of that it's a trend and you shouldn't listen to it. So maybe the market is uh, evaluating things a little bit differently now in terms of divisional home underdogs. But it's the, it's coming from the standpoint that divisional road teams might be a little bit rated too highly in the market. And I think Indianapolis is a little bit uh, from that standpoint, along with the Packers, because of how they're both undergoing transitions uh, on their respective side of the ball and also the turnover regression potentially incoming for Indianapolis. So all those factors combining uh, for me for these two divisional home dogs and I'm taking the Vikings at plus one and a half. If you want to tease it up and you want to be a little less risky with that, that's fine too. If you want to take the money line instead of taking the the one and a half there, that's that's okay. I'm, I'm looking at this from a market standpoint and where I, I see value in the line versus where I make the line. Uh, but I'm taking the Vikings at plus one and a half minus 105. All right. And that brings us to our last NFL week one bet of today's show. And that is going to be Mo with the Washington Commanders, who I still personally feel should be named the Washington football team. And that is a hill I am willing to die on. But right now, the Commanders are two and a half point favorites against the Jags. Mo, tell us about your bet for this game. Yeah, 100%. Um, football team was 
I wish it would have stuck. It was great. I enjoyed <laughs> it a lot, actually. Um, market is not in agreement with me that Washington is the side here. Uh, so I guess maybe just wait on this and you might get a better number if it keeps going the direction it's going. Because I was looking at some threes and even a three and a half, I think, was on the board last night. Uh, but yeah, b below the key number, I'm pretty actually more excited than I would have ever imagined to be to bet on uh, Washington and Carson Wentz, especially when I kind of like their season win total under, but I just see a massive, massive mismatch on both sides of the ball in the trenches, basically. I think this Jags O-line looks pretty putrid. Um, I'd be surprised if they're not a bottom 10 unit. And Washington, even without Chase Young, who is on the pup list and I don't think is going to be eligible to play for the first four games, it's still a, quite a strong defensive front. I, I think they'll likely put Trevor Lawrence under a lot of pressure. And and it'll protect the secondary, which I, I don't think is good um, at all. Like I, I see potential weak point there for sure. I, I, but I just don't know if Jacksonville can take advantage of it. And then on the other side of the ball, the we know we know how bad Carson Wentz is under pressure. And I don't think he's going to be under very much pressure because Washington actually does have a pretty good offensive line. And multiple rookies I'm seeing slated to start once again for Jacksonville. Big red flag early in the season. And it's not, not a great pass rush on, on, on a good day. So uh, just I don't think... The market is telling us these teams are basically even. I, I don't think that's right. Um, and I'm not high on Washington, like I said, but huge mismatches in the trenches on both sides. And I think it could get ugly up front for Lawrence again here. I'm worried about the year two bump. I've always been a big Lawrence guy. Definitely thought he was going to be a superstar. So I guess if he comes out and, and crushes it, I won't be really that surprised. But I got to see it first before I'm like, okay, him with this supporting cast is just even money against a better Washington roster. I have to say, going forward on this podcast, I'm very excited to see what other adjectives you use because I don't know the last time <laughs> I've heard putrid. So <laughs> this is going to be a fun one. Eli, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up our first ever Beat the Lines podcast? Yeah, Beat, beat the, the Closing, closing lines. lines. Yeah, it's right. Beat the Closing Lines podcast. But I do think we should change the name of the podcast to Below Average Secondaries because every team that we've <laughs> talked about on this podcast, every team that we're backing on this podcast has a below average secondary, which I'm sure we're going to uh, complain about next week when all of our bets lose. All right, guys, that wraps it up for our first ever show. And again, we are going to be back on air Thursday, Thursday. Thursday, that's not a day, Thursday with me and Eli and a special sports betting guest. And Eli is going to be on site at Circa at their sports book, posting on our social channels from there for Thursday night football. So make sure you tune in Thursday. Make sure you sign up for our free to play game in the link to the description and make sure you go on to Apple podcasts, subscribe to this channel and give us a five star review to win those $25 Amazon gift cards. We will see you in a few days. Happy betting. Happy NFL week one. <laughs>